It's four o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. This week, live from beautiful Westlake Studios, Mr. Al Machera. Yay! And thank you, fake band. Thank you, fake audience. Hi, Al. How you doing, sir? <laughs> I'm good, thanks. I'm actually a little scared to death. I hate doing remotes, but I'm really glad to be doing one here. Hello, everybody. Uh, Hello. There you guys are. Uh, the monitor's a little far away from me, so I'm not going to do my usual hellos, but mm -hmm. uh, I'm excited to be here. Al's become a good friend over the last, I think, three years probably, mm -hmm. and something like that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we are two old studio dogs that, when we get together, love talking about all things with mics and wires. And uh, the room we're sitting in is Studio B. Um, here, I'm going to duck out of the shop for a second and let you see. So this is one of two rooms that Michael Jackson used on a regular basis. Yeah, this was um, the second Westlake building built um, and Studio A and B. Uh, Studio A, of course, was where they did Thriller. But Studio B was in the process of being built and it got a lot of use as well during the Thriller years. So a lot of like the... <laughs> Um, the overflow from the A room got right. got cut in here. I think the 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 drums to Billy Jean were cut in the in the in the drum room in the back, and um, a lot of a lot of cool things in this room. You can feel the history in this place, um, and, and I'm not going to pop off the camera to show you guys. Um, what's above us right now, but I'll tell you about it. There are a pair of JBL 4311s above us in the ceiling, and Al, why don't you tell them why their speakers mounted in the ceiling blowing down at the floor? I think this is a great thing. Quincy Jones loved these speakers, so um, instead of putting them on the console, he used to love to lean back in his chair and just kind of listen. So they put them up in the ceiling so he could just turn them on, lean back, and listen to what he, what was going on. It's a trip. First time I walked <laughs> in one of these rooms, I thought, were those up there for quad mm -hmm. <laughs> back in the day? Yeah. Um, so we have them in here. We have them in A as well. I love 4311s because that's what I grew up on. They're not everybody's favorite monitor, but once you're used to them, yep. you know? Yep. We, we sparked them up when we redid Studio A at the end of last year. And... Um, we listened to a couple things through it, and it's definitely the different sounding monitor <laughs> for sure. Yeah, once you're used to like but certain it, things sounded great in it, and yeah. then other things didn't didn't sound so well, so so great. So we were we were trying to figure out, um, you know, is it the monitor um, or is it just that sound? I mean, when you played stuff from the '70s and, and the '80s, <laughs> it, it, sounded great. it sounded great, you know. And then when you when you kind of got into more bass heavy stuff. It wasn't translating as well. well not enough bass coming yeah, out of them? Yeah. Interesting. Because yeah. they had a 12-inch woofer. Wow. Yeah. Very interesting. So, all right. I've got uh, a whole... I came prepared today. Um, is the audio good on your end, guys? Can you hear me? I hope so. Oh, yeah. They're talking about 4311, so you can hear us. Good. 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 Yeah, we got plenty on the meter. Um so yeah, some of the people have recorded here, and this is just a small sample of just some of those artists. Michael Jackson, Rihanna, Shakira, Justin Timberlake, Madonna, Neo, Donna Summer, Alanis Morissette, Boston, Van Halen. Those must have been fun sessions. Mm -hmm. uh, Frank Ocean, Josh Groban, 
Quincy Jones, Dave Matthew, Kelly Clarkson, Nas, Kesha, um, or I'm sorry, uh, Kesha Cole? Uh, Keisha Cole. Keisha Cole. Yeah. Um, Aaliyah, Missy Elliott, Britney Spears, Nine Inch Nails, Justin Bieber, uh, Fifth Harmony, and many, many, many more. So, yeah, this place is, it's history. And the thing, well, I'll get into that later. I don't want to give away some of my questions later. But I want to talk about you. Um, where did you grow up? Clearly from New York by the accent. Mm -hmm. <laughs> grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Um, pretty much my young adult uh, up until about 17 and then my family decided it was getting uh it was a rough place to grow up um my father was getting you know a little older and he didn't want all the hassle of you know having to worry about me being out and uh, my senior year moved us up to the Catskill Mountains so I spent a year or two up there where what town in Monticello oh okay Monticello cool. and um you know finished my my high school year up there um and then um Moved back to the city after a short stint up there, about two years. The whole family moved back. Just me. Okay. Just couldn't get couldn't get enough of you know. It's just too quiet up there. Too, too you, you miss dollar pizza slices. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. Um, but you know, I have it's great because I had my friends growing up, and then I had my friends from Monticello. So I still you know I'm still in touch with a bunch of them. So it's like a whole new community of people that I that I that I still that I still keep in touch with. Um, and um, moved back to the city for a little bit, and then back down, then down down to Miami to start my my career in audio. So, uh, what did you want to be when you were in, let's say, grade school or junior high, high school? What did you want to be? Uh, did you know at that point that you wanted to grow up in? in um, no, in no, not at all, not at all. I think um, growing up, my my natural progression would have been to become electrician or a carpenter. Right, my father. All, all of my families are trade are tradesmen. So, okay. my brother-in-law was um, was electrician, um, and he was about 16 years older than I was. So, I was always kind of following him around. My father was a um, machine shop uh, machinist and built things out of metal, and you know, my so so it was all about construction you know both of them were great carpenters so we which could came go. in handy in your yeah you know, yeah it still does you it can't does. own one of these without right. knowing what all the trades do that's right that's right that actually cool. comes in really hell and and you know in, in my own kind of little way i always always say to people you know if you if you're a builder you're a builder right so so i started off as maybe building um you know, wiring stuff or building, you know, kitchens and, and, and bathrooms and remodeling stuff. But really you're just building when you, when you're working on a, on a song, you're building, right. Yeah. You're, you're creating something and it's just kind of the same, it's the same, um, skills mm -hmm. just in a different way. I've often compared it to cooking. Yeah. Same, yeah. same thing. Same thing. I, I love think, to cook too. Yeah. Me yeah. Too. I love to cook too. <laughs> so, how did you end up in Miami? Did you go there specifically to get into the studio business? Yes. Okay. So, so what happened is, um, growing up, I was obsessed with music. I loved it. Um, I was in Brooklyn, New York, um, in this in a place called um, East Flatbush. Um, Everybody knows Flatbush. Yeah, yeah, Flatbush, right? So I was. So I grew up there, um, and um, just. A melting pot of everything was in front of me. I had, you know, the, the hip hop was just being born. Um, the neighborhood 
that I grew up in was mostly um, West Indies. So um, it was Jamaican, Haitian, um, uh, you know, just a mix of everyone. So had a lot of uh, reggae and island music coming, you know, in the, in the area, in the neighborhood. Um, my sisters, I have two older sisters that are um, 16 years older than I am. Um, and they were prime during the Rolling Stones, Beatles era. So that whole sound of the 70s, 60s and 70s were like where I grew up, you know, right. with them. Um, my father, who was a little older, was into big band. My mother um, was uh, Jerry Vale, you know. Um, Classic. Yes, Frank Sinatra, <laughs> Jerry Vale. And um, my grandmother was like nuts being being like older. Um, she was nuts for Elvis Presley, right? Wow. Like, so that was my first record ever. So we, we used to go and we used to go um, to this little movie theater called Midwood and they used to have like 50 cent movies on like Wednesdays and she used to take me and we always stop by a record store and like my first record was, um, was an Elvis Presley record because that's what she loved. You and I, I, every time I'm with you on the ride back to um, Calabasas, I, I think about how similar we are. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. You know, I mean, there was an instant attraction. Not mm -hmm. the, uh, trying to make more out of this than I should, but uh, <laughs> that'll be that'll be the, that'll be the video after this one. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, my grandmother took me to see Jailhouse Rock mm -hmm. at a fifty cent movie theater yeah, really? when I was a yeah, kid. Yeah, yeah, and I fell in love with Elvis. Oh yeah, we used to so. go see all the old Elvis movies, and you know, it was it was cool. Was... I, I couldn't believe that my grandmother liked it. I was almost mm -hmm. embarrassed to be sitting next to her because you know he, his dancing was very sexualized, yep. and it was just like way too young and hip for a grandmother to be into. I don't. Oh, know. she was she was like a nut. She was <laughs> an Elvis Presley nut. We used to watch all the the movies on TV and. Um, uh, you know, she was just way, way advanced for her age. You know, she was she was a cool, that, cool lady. She lived next door cool. to us, so we lived we lived in the house next door. Uh, we bought the house next door. I grew up actually born in her house. We lived there for a stint, um, and then we moved out. We moved to an apartment, and then we bought the house next door to her. So Classic. it was super cool because she was, um, you know, she 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 got me into music. She taught me how to cook. Um, you know, every so I was just at grandma's house all the time. It was a big house, and it was just her and I. Wow! Um, so it was it was a it was a cool um, playing Elvis records and hanging yeah. out and cooking. Yep, exactly. That's right. Awesome. Yeah. So, what was it that made you go to Miami to get into the studio business? And how old were you at the time? Um, so growing so growing up, one of the things my father and mother had bought me was um, I don't know if you guys remember, but there was like if you had like a component stereo system which like you had a tuner there was an akai tuner and then you know whatever the the i can't remember what the it was an eight track there was a cassette deck and there was a turntable and then i just kind of like started buying um uh, eight tracks and and albums and i would just sit in my room with headphones on um and listen for hours and hours and hours and just kind of like try to dissect what i was listening to right so um, you know, I'd, I'd go from some any from the Beatles to um, Stevie Wonder to um, excuse me Rush um, to to like pretty much anything that I was kind of like drawn to that day or or that week. You yeah. know, and I just kind of dissect it. And then one day I turned an album around and I saw that it said um, recording engineer, and I was like, what's a recording engineer? Right. So I kind of so so being 
with no access at all to the music industry, um, I had no idea. Mm -hmm. So I was just trying to figure out. It was before the internet, so there was no like, let me pick up my phone and see what a recording engineer is. <laughs> um, so I so I so I figured it out. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. So I was sitting um, in my living room one day, and I saw a commercial come on TV, and it was for the school that was just pretty much brand new in Miami on um uh was it was it Washington is the is where the that club always used to be you know that club that changed hands a hundred times Ocean Drive and then what's that next street that that I think it was Washington I do remember a street named Washington I think it was Washington Maybe. right yeah. so it was it was literally right in South Beach um it was a, a school that a that an, that an industry veteran named Mert Paul okay um he started and it was video and um, and audio. What year? Uh, this was '88. Okay. Wow, that was the year I moved out here. Yeah. So '88. Okay. So I just there was a commercial on TV. It was like you want to get into you want to make records. You want to get into the audio industry. And um, I was like, yep. And I called. And within a week, I had my Honda Prelude packed, <laughs> and I was driving down to Miami from New York. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and so you went to school there, and uh, did you did that place hook you up with an internship or something? How did you get your first job in a studio, and what was your first job? Um, so I, um, it's thirty years into it, I always say it's all about opportunity. The door of opportunity is going to open, and you have to be ready to get through it. Right. So right. the reason I say that is because, um, like I said, I had a car. Right, so my so my Honda Prelude drove down to Miami, and um, the uh, halfway through my year of courses, you know, and, and that time I was taking audio and video courses, right? Okay. So I was I was doing both programs, and um, halfway through the courses, uh, I was I was walking down the hallway, and one of my friends that I was in class with from Connecticut. Him, um, he was in with a with a placement counselor. Okay. And I just popped. I saw him sitting there. I just popped my head in. I knew her as well, so I just popped in. I said, you know, I popped my head in. I said, hey, how are you guys doing? And um, she said, oh, Al, one second. You have a car, right? And I go, yeah, I have a car. Um, and she's like, can you drive Cornell to a, a, an intern interview at a studio? And I said, sure, no problem. So I drove him and. Um, being in Miami, it's super hot, so you don't want to sit outside. And and so I so I was I walked in with him, and I sat in the lobby of the studio. It was called Studio Center. And I sat in the lobby, and um, he went in and interviewed for like 20, 30 minutes. And they when they were walking out, the owner of the studio who interviewed him, his name was Steve Schiffo. Um, he asked, "Who's this guy?" And and Cornell said that he's my friend. He drove me here. He's my driver. He's, he's my, my driver. Uber guy. <laughs> and um, so that's really. So he's like, "Well, are you in the are you in school with him?" He's like, "I said, yeah, of course, yes." Um, and he's like, "Do you want to do you want an internship too?" And I said, "Yeah, I would love one." So he's like, "Great, you so show up <laughs> right tomorrow, right place, right time." Yep. And that's. I mean, now my interview was literally five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I showed up the next you day. You have a car. You got the yeah, job. That's right. <laughs> And um, that's what happened. And um, I showed up the next. We both showed up the next day, and it was it was easier because we kind of we could come together um, and leave together. And um, he he didn't. He was more of like an artist 
Yeah. So he lasted. I mean, I think they told him to clean the bathrooms or the or 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 clean the gold records or the platinum records on the wall, and he was like, I don't do that. <laughs> what? So he was done like two days, I think it was, maybe a day or two, and and I and I wound up lasting. I ended up staying there for a while. Wow. Yeah. Um, I I cannot believe that he wasn't willing to yeah, do he was, that yeah, stuff. Yeah, he wasn't. He's like, I don't, I don't want to do that stuff. Did he think that like the day after he got the internship that they were going to make him a, a producer on a platinum record? I, I don't, or you know, I don't know. I, I that that was probably his mindset of like, I, I, I you know, there's only certain things I'm going to do. Wow. Yeah, not destined to work in a studio because yeah. yeah. uh, as you and I both know, you've got to do whatever is asked of you and, and, and do it and do it yeah, yeah and, and do it well you know that's i right. mean like a zero defect environment at least you know mm-hmm. that's the way i was raised i'm sure that's the way you, you train guys here um wow uh, to quote uh, hermione from harry potter what an idiot mm. sorry was, cornell yeah. if you're watching today. maybe it just wasn't his path you know maybe um he he was looking you know his I think his purpose for being there was more to um, figure out how to record better for mm-hmm. himself, to record himself as an artist. Um, so his his mindset wasn't, I want to become an engineer. Like His, his mindset wasn't the service industry. Do his mindset f- was, I'm, I'm going to get better so I know when someone serves me if it's right or, if it's right or wrong. I, fair enough. Yeah. Um, do you remember how you felt in that moment when you left that place after getting an internship in a real studio? Just that, did you? Feel oh, I was kind of in shock. I think <laughs> I, I, it happened so and... quick. I mean, it really happened so fast. Um, I don't even remember if I was stumbling in my words or anything. I was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, that, I would love to. <laughs> we didn't even go back to the office. He was just like, okay, just come tomorrow. Wow. Um, did you finish school or, or did the internship just totally take over your life? To no, no, I finished school. So that was about that was about six months into it. Yeah. I still had another six months. Now, what was super interesting is um, Studio Center had two rooms. Um, one was an MCI room um, over on the east side of Miami. And it was an older room, a big live room, smaller control room. Um, and was geared more towards film, uh, film overdubs and things like that. I think that's where Steve kind of like started the whole, the reason for getting into the audio side. Yeah, that whole neighborhood around Northeast 149th was all like, there was a PBS affiliate there. It was all yeah. production yeah. and post-production that's right. stuff. That's right. Yeah. So, um, so that was the older room. And then where we went and interviewed was on the West side, which is Miami Lakes. Okay. And, um that room they had just bought and it was a studio that had gone bankrupt they had just bought it they didn't have the clientele to book it yet so um what was great was i kind of bounced between both buildings but i wound up staying i wound up being at the the west location a lot more so really i had a pair of keys to an ssl i had a set of keys to an ssl room um and no clients so it was really just like I was just in there every day learning, learning, learning as much as I could. I'd try different things. I'd, I'd clean things. I'd fix things. I was, you know, we were building um, little production suites in the other si- other parts of the building. So I was kind of working on that a little bit. So my, my construction background nice. helped out there. Um, 
so it was just a you know it just depended on what happened so i'd go to school in the morning um till the midday or so and um maybe hit the beach for for an hour <laughs> and then after that I'd, I'd i'd head into the studio how old were you when you actually engineered like a real session um well that was a, that's an interesting thing because um with opportunity as being i was an intern from i think i remember looking it up one time i was an intern for i think 11 weeks maybe maybe it was nine weeks i can't remember it was nine or 11 weeks and it was a quick internship um and then um i started assisting um and then like literally a couple weeks into assisting um an engineer didn't show up and i just had to jump in classic and and, and then just kind of learn by trial by fire kind of thing uh, i think almost everybody who's ever spent any time behind a real console mm -hmm. we all share that story and i remember that i remember that session like it was yesterday it was a frank, <laughs> it was frank diaz a gentleman named frank diaz who was a who was an executive producer for a group called exposé oh i remember and, that and they were making an exposé record and and that was my first that was that's how i cut my teeth wow yeah um, faking it like you actually knew what he. I, I, I told him I didn't know. I told him. I told him shit up. I was like, I'll do my best. He's like, okay, great. And he, and he used to tell. He, it's funny because um, when I was engineering, um, I'd always have a, a little nickname called Taz, right? Um, and that came from Frank because I was so nervous about that. I you know I'd be moving around the room and you know I'd um, one time I I brushed. Um, the the um the table that he had a bunch of a bunch of um, paper on i brushed it and the paper just went <laughs> and he's like he's like buddy you got to calm down he's like he's like you're running around here like tasmanian devil right and i know i said i'm nervous i said i don't know what i'm doing so um so i said so he's like we'll get there we'll get there nowhere he's like we're not doing brain surgery no one's gonna die and I said, okay, cool. Wow, so, you're so, lucky that you had yeah, a you know, Yeah, he was guy. super cool. Yeah. He was super cool. So then they caught it. They, they started calling me Taz for the rest of the months. Thank God it was paper <laughs> and not cocaine. Which, That's right. You know, would, would not have been out of order for <laughs> That's right. that, that time period been a in the studio. Uh, I, I realized as I was researching you a little bit that you and I have both lived and worked in New York, Miami, and L.A. Mm -hmm. Just one more thing that mm -hmm. we've got in common. So how did you end up... Um, out here and if i remember correctly i think i read that you went from miami back to new york went back to new york and I, I, what was, was the circumstance surrounding that um i don't know have you ever been in the miami in the summertime yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, was, I ran like the second time the summer was coming around i just i was like i can't do it again <laughs> so um that's so, why i worked in studios lots of air conditioning yeah and, and that's that's great as long as you can get from your house like what what i what i couldn't get over is you take a shower you get dressed <laughs> you walk from your front door to your car and you're like before you get to your car you're dripping wet again so, and you soak again you feel nasty and you're like okay why did i even take a shower um but it the, the the summers there are kind of brutal. Yes, they are. Um, and um, I wasn't I wasn't prepared for it. Uh, the first time around was was rough. And I didn't want to see it happen again. So it was about a year and a half that I was there, and um, I went back to New York. And and um, just did you have a job lined up in New no, York? No, no. I just went back and I I just littered the place with. Um, I went probably went to about fifty studios with my resume. Dropped them off in person, whether they knew I was coming or not. 
tried to set up appointments. They were like, no. <laughs> so I just showed up. So that would have been around 90? It was 90, yeah. So how did you, what job did you get when I you got I got three back? offers. Um, I got 34th Street Sound, um, which was, did a lot of um, jingles. Um, and that was in Manhattan. I got a, um, an offer from Green Street mm -hmm. Studios, and that was downtown Manhattan. And I got an offer from a studio called Power Play in Long Island City. And because I didn't have to drive into the city and get on a train and park the car and, you know, and, and spend a bunch of money, I took the one in Long Island City. And it turned out to be a great, great move. And did you start there as an assistant? Assistant. I went back to be an assistant. Okay. Yep. And how long did it take you to graduate to becoming a first engineer? And how did that happen? Um, I'd say... Um, Probably a few months, maybe a month, a couple, wow, two, you're, two you're three like months. You're like the king of the short timeline. Yeah, you know, it, it, I got um, I got linked up with um, with with some great people, um, and I had a, a, a mentor named Anton, uh, who uh, when I worked with him a lot, and he was an engineer, and um, because. He was also a musician, so he'd always, you know, break into like, you know, pulling out his bass or playing some keyboards. So it was kind of great because we, we worked really well together because when he wanted to do that stuff, I could just engineer, you know, I was just engineering. Right. So so it was kind of like him being able to step out of the engineering um, seat into the producer seat um, and me engineer. So I kind of had this great transition. And once we kind of, we started working together, the first thing I did was, um, a record called uh, Organized Confusion was a group called Organized Confusion, um, and it was on Hollywood Basics. I don't know if you remember when Hollywood um, Records started I remember a hip hop Hollywood. label. I didn't know they so, had so Hollywood. So Power Basics. Play was a hip hop studio, pre predominantly hip hop studio. Okay. And um, they made you know all the early hip hop records: Eric B. Rakim, Nas, um, Kid and Play, Salt and Pepper, um, KRS One, EPMD. All the early hip hop records. And were you into hip hop at the time? Was um, that like your? I, I mean, I look. I liked hip hop. It yeah. wasn't. I didn't really have. If I would have went to Green Street, Green Street, I think was doing um, a little bit of everything. But they were uh, LL Cool J was making records there. Um, Thirty Fourth Street Sound, like I said, was make was making jingles and. Um, and more uh, advertisement music and you know things like that. So it really wasn't like I would have done any of them. I was you know I, I really didn't have a preference. Like I didn't go there because I was like I loved hip hop. Right. It was it was I, I and I didn't um, I really wasn't hip on like the drum machines and syncing up all the gear and all that stuff. I really learned that there on the on the you know like when as soon as I got there and mm -hmm. it was like trial by fire again. It was like trying to figure out. You know, like set up this SP twelve hundred and this MPC sixty and sync them all together and make it all and sync it to the tape and it was all a bunch of syncing, 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 and make it work. Um, and it was it was a great uh, learning environment. There was some incredible engineers there. Anton was one of them. Uh, Patrick Adams, oh, yeah. um, Eli Tubo, um, just incredible, just incredible talent. How incredible, old were you at the time? Uh, like twenty. Wow. Yeah. So I, was, yeah, I, was, I love stories like this. Uh, so how long were you in New York and what brought you to L.A.? Oh, I, uh, so I worked there for a while. So um, when I was at Power Play, um, I was, 
I want to say I was um, at that particular time I was working on a session it was it was a, a group called delight right and um, we were doing a remix for one of their records I want to say it was their fir- it was the first album for sure it was the big album and it was maybe like the fourth or fifth record off that album um, so they came in producers came in and they were doing a remix and it was a like a two-day session it was it lasted forever and we didn't really we didn't really go home it was just going on and on and on and um finally got to go home and i went home just about to took a shower just about to get in bed and my phone rang and i got a call from the studio saying um can you come back for a session a mix and i go um i i I don't think i can i said i'm so tired right now i said i can't even see straight um and and it was a um, producer named Herbie Lo- Herbie Azor, and he went by the name Herbie Lovebug, and um, he he was the founding one of the founders and the producer of Salt and Pepper, and Kid and Play and Kwame and a bunch of other, you know, hip hop acts at the time, popular hip hop acts, and um, uh, I was like, you know, I, I would love to work with him. I just I don't think I can at this point. I said, I'm too tired, um, but let me get some sleep. And if you still can't find anybody, um, give me a call back. And um, I got a call back a few hours later, and they were like, you know, he said he really, he said he's worked with you before. He really loved to work with you, and and he wanted to, he wanted you to, to do this project. And I said, okay, great. So I got up, took another shower, tried to wake up a little bit, um, and went in, and it was uh, the remix for Let's Talk About Sex. So wow. it was, you know, one one session turned into um, what are we doing tomorrow, and then that turned into what are we doing next week, and then what are we doing next month, and and ten years later we were still making records. Your your life is like the instruction manual for mm. how to become a successful engineer. Yeah, it's just it's it's that opportunity. You know, I always say it's that door of opportunity. You just kind of and recognizing it and going for yeah. it. A lot of people don't. You know, you have to. You, you have to. I always. I, I never. I never have a hard line on anything. I'm. Uh, it's. It's probably. I'm Pisces, so I never. Uh, so it's hard for me to say no to anything. Um, but with um you know there's always a there's always a way to make it work i always feel like there's always a way to make it work so if i you know if we can compromise and i can get some sleep to try to you know get my senses back um then i can i can go in and, and do the do the session and the session turned out to be the, probably the biggest session of my life wow so how long were you there and did he bring you out here? How did you end up? Moving no, we to LA? we were making records out there. We built the studio out there. Um, we made um, the next record, which was um, called "Very Necessary," um, in his um, mother's garage. We bought I bought a twenty four track machine from Nashville. I flew it up. I drove it. I had shipped back up here. Flew down there. I had shipped back up here to New York, and. Um, had a little console there. I think it was called a soundtrack console, and um, had a technician come in, wire it, and we tracked the whole album in there, and um, and then wound up having to mix it there as well, because <laughs> when I when I when I gave the label all the the rough mixes, um, we got them all approved, and then went into PowerPlay to mix, um, and when I started sending them the first couple mixes, they're like, wait, wait, wait. Right, the sound was different. What happened to that sound? It was it was raw. It was kind of like, it was a it was a cool sound, 
And I go, well, yeah, I can't do it on that console. I said, no automation on it. And they were like, well, how much would it cost to do automate? Have put automation on the console. So they made me actually stop, put automation in the console. On the soundtrack. On yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a third-party automation system, and it was like I was mixing off a little little console like this. <laughs> That's a great story. Yeah. Um, what year did you move to L.A., and did you move out here for a studio gig? No. Um, <laughs> Once again, I'm just going to go I, there. I, I literally, <laughs> I was, um, so that was, so, so that was about 10 years, uh, oh, wow. l- about 10 years of working. We, we had a very small unit of people, so the management of the group, Salt and Pepper, um, um, being on the road, I would I was on the road with them all the time. So I do I did you know I was on the road with all their tours um, when they would do spot dates, when they were doing um, world tours. I was always traveling. I had my gear with me all the time. We'd always we'd so always... you were traveling with them to record them or do front of house stuff. Uh, I was I was more of the MD, like basically running the show. Okay. Um, so it, whatever's needed, you know, like so right. it was you know if 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 it, if I needed to be a tour manager one day, I was a tour manager. If I needed to be um, basically quality control i was making sure if we're doing tv the angles are right the lighting is correct um if we you know the sound is always correct um so whatever was needed it was just more of um keeping it at a very high quality through through their through their early you know their mid part of their their career you must have really earned their trust yeah we we became like a family we were we were you know we still are we still we still always keep in touch you know they're everybody it's a it's a dysfunctional family in, in a lot of senses, but aren't but, they all? Yeah, uh, but it's, but it's but so. It's, how did you walk away from that? I mean, it sounds like such a it, it cozy, just, you know, relationship um, and everything. Every yeah. everybody grows up, you know. We were that was that was our early twenties, you know, um, to mid twenties. So everybody kind of, um, when we got through to about ninety nine, um, everybody was ready to take a breath and just go, okay, let's 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 chill for a second. Let's. It, it was a whirlwind. 10, 10 years for me, 15 years for them. It was a whirlwind 15 years for them. Um, for me, it's 10 years. And I, I just, I didn't know what I wanted to do anymore. I didn't know if I wanted to keep doing that. I wanted a, a, a break from it for a second. Um, so I had gotten married in 96. And in 99, after a tour, um, my wife and I were just like, let's move out to L.A just so yeah and I, I my my intention was to take a year off okay. and, and just kind of regroup um and we came out here and my wife interviewed for a job she got a job that she wanted so i was going to take a year off and i was just going to chill um and when, when i hit the ground out here a friend asked me to do a favor and mix a song for a group called bones thugs and bones thugs and harmony and i did that and one song turned into like six songs um, and then I was done. Then I was like, okay, I need a break. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. So, uh, um, shortly after that, um, a, f- a guy that I, a uh, person that I work with, Charlotte Blake at, at, um, at London Polygram, which was the label that Salt and Pepper was on. So her, she was the, she was the point person for the group and me being the, the, the you know, the guy that dealt with all the production, yeah. I interfaced with her on a daily basis. So she had moved out here at the same time, and um, a third friend, a friend of hers, was the GM of a, a company called Radio and Records. Oh yeah. So they were. Which is uh, Lenny Beer. 
Was that Radio Records? Uh, no. Oh, okay. No, Lenny Beer. Confused. Sorry. Go mm-hmm. ahead. Um, so. Um, it, it was like Billboard, though, kind of like uh, Billboard it, for the industry, more. Correct. It was the it was it was radio pl- radio charts, um, basically for the industry. So mm-hmm. so, the label could figure out how many plays they were getting, what stations were playing their songs, how many how many times they were playing it, when they were playing it. Um, so to see if their payola was working. Or it, not. it wasn't working or not, right? <laughs> um, so I, I so I, I so she gave me a call when I was out here, and, and she said that. Radio and Records is starting this um, really cool endeavor, and they were their their plan was to digitally distribute music, promotional music to radio stations, um, which had never been done before. So, so if you wanted, if you were a label, major label, and you wanted to get your material to a um, to a radio station, you'd have to basically go through this the cost of pressing a CD, artwork, you know, the whole nine yards. Is it like the same cost that would make you that would that would cost you to to make an album. Yeah. A CD album. It costs you to do Promos. one single, one promo. And um and then your shipping costs and, and you know and all that. So Radio and Records felt like there was a better way of, of getting it there digitally. Um that was so pretty so forward thinking. It was cool. It was a very cool project. So that enticed me. I was like, okay, that would be great. I would love to do that. So I kind of I jumped on there and I headed up that project for them, and um, it lasted for a little bit. It was during the years of Napster, so that was a little tougher, tougher environment. Couldn't get um, took a, took a lot of trust to get the labels to sign off on having their material digitized. On, digitized right, and, yeah. going down a wire that anybody could hijack Correct. and then take Correct. it to Napster. But but our system was really interesting. It was um, it was it was. Uh, a joint venture with Liquid Audio. Oh yeah, remember Liquid Audio? They were one of the first sponsors of the Road Rally back. Really? In the day. Yeah, yeah, they were great, great company out in Redwood, uh, California. Yeah, and um, and they had some great technology where we could literally take a you know rip a, a wave off a CD, or or you know get it. However, um, it was about 50, 50 megs. Okay. Um, you'd compress it down to about four, four or five megs, then be able to you know because because at the time, you know, in 2000, you, no one had high-speed internet, right? right. So that and was bandwidth the, was expensive. Ban- bandwidth was yeah. expensive. So the challenge was to get that amount of data over the over the internet. So you compress it down, and then on the other end, whoever had the player could then take it and compress it back, uncompress it to about 45 megs. So it lost a little bit, but but it was still uh, super high quality. Um, so, so we did that for a while successfully and, um, just fell, fell victim to the environment. Um, and then I transitioned into other things at Radio and Records and, you know, did that for, for about nine years. Uh, did you miss being in the studio? I did. That was 2000 by about 2003, 2003, my son was born. And then I was getting the itch to kind of get back in the studio. So I built... I, I hope your wife's not watching the show today. I, I, no, no, not because he was born. But right right prior to him being born, I I'd put together, I'd built um, a, a little home studio at, in, 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 a, in a spare bedroom. And that became the nursery. 
<laughs> so so my, my gear had to come out and it was it was in the living room a, a large living room but I had like a little corner to myself and so that was good for a second until my son got mobile and he started rewiring my studio every day um, one of and, my daughters actually <laughs> put an ice cream sandwich in a VHS player so I, so I, I have those stories those <laughs> nightmares um, so that's actually what what wound up um, me uh, here at Westlake was I was looking for uh, a place that I could set my gear up in a room uh, that was a little production room, a little writing room. And um, through a friend, Steve Resnick, yeah. um, who um, we had lunch and he introduced me to somebody who then introduced me to Steve. Um, and, and Steve I, and was looking to, to as in verdict. So, yes, yeah, Steve, uh, who, who's now his partner. Yeah, is now my partner. And um, Steve was looking to rent out some of the offices upstairs in, in our other building um, as writing rooms. He said, you know, we, we, there used to be a, a sales group up there. Okay. So the sales group dwindled down. Um, and to, did Steve Burdick own this place at that point? No, he was His... looking to buy. Glenn Phoenix did. Oh, Glenn okay. Phoenix still owned it. Yeah. Okay. So Glenn, So the story with Glenn, was super interesting story, is he started out making monitors, right? And then he built a studio around his monitors to, to to demo his monitors and that became the first westlake studio and it was called westlake audio back then westlake audio which it's right? not now westlake no. audio is a separate company that sells gear now correct and um so um that room got super popular stevie wonder went in listened to some the speakers and loved it so he mixed his record there so then everyone was that was a mix room that was over on wilshire so Tom Hidley was designing the rooms? Um, the, uh, I know the, Tom Hidley designed these two rooms. I'm not sure about that room. Okay. I'm not sure about that room. But So but Glenn Phoenix must have been in some sort of relationship. He was partners. He was okay. a partner, yeah. All right. So so Glenn was doing the monitors. Tom was kind of the studio design. Um, and they both kind of did, you know, they both kind of had their hand in everything. And these monitors were unique at the time. And if I remember correctly when they built this place the, the idea was to have rooms that sounded the same whether you were an yes. a or b That's or right. c or d that a label could send in a, an artist and a producer and an engineer work in a room take a month off come back oh you can't get that room but you can work in the other room it's going to sound the same same thing yeah okay which yeah. was pretty unique i yeah. mean it was desirable and everybody had the thought but this was the place that pioneered that right yeah yeah so that's cool and, and 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 the accuracy is was was super important to them it was the um the the um accuracy of the audio in the room in from the listening position and they measured it it, it was you know they would Absolutely, do, deal was, with white noise or pink noise yeah, and yeah. time delays tds right time yeah. delay spectrometry or mm -hmm. something like that they used to be uh, in every room used to be built in wow yeah so you took the production room here, and then how did that translate into you and Steve Burdick eventually buying the place? So about a few months into it, um, we became friends. Um, he uh, he came we came down one day down the hall and said that um, he's thinking about buying the studio and was looking for investors. And did I know anybody? And and in my mind, I was never like it was never even my intention to ever buy the studio like I wasn't even thinking okay. about it. I was like who do I know that would want to buy a studio I would think you would need millions of dollars to buy yeah and I just I just kind of felt and so so I looked at his business plan and um, his business plan um, was first set up to get investment money and then pay that investment money back but as you can remember that that time 
studios were dropping like pretty much every week. Right. Um, several a week. Big um, studios. So, big brand so him name and I, studios yeah, that big everybody ones. knew. They were they were it was like you'd get a you'd get a notification that another big studio kind of closed its doors. Um, in a bad way too it was like people showed up and the doors were locked and right. they, no one was open. <laughs> somebody up. came in with snips and took yeah. the console mm -hmm. repoed the console so um, so I kind of looked at the business plan and I said you know the only way this would work is if somebody you had somebody you had a business partner that was looking to do production um, so I kind of did the numbers and I was like if I were to come in um, instead of me spending money on studio time, why don't I just spend money to buy the studio and then I'd have a place to work and I'd just kind of float around the rooms. Um, so that's what we did. Pretty so, simple. <laughs> I'm amazed that, you know, like Bruce Swedeen, um, uh, who engineered all the Michael Jackson stuff. I mean, the, you know, they're the who's who of the industry worked in this place. I'm surprised none of those guys stepped up. At Lucky you, once again, opportunity. I, I, I think so. Um, and I think people, um, it was an environment where people were really scared about yeah. buying a studio. So no one was really, like, it really was, um, it, it really was a, uh, the perfect situation. Like, you know, it was. Why what, weren't you scared? Um, I was, you know, I was scared, but I was young, so I was kind of like, if it didn't work, I'd I'd do something else. You know, it wasn't anything that I was. It was money. It was just money, and time. Wow, I wish I had that part of you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, I, that, I, I, that's I, ballsy. I, 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 I think uh, you know, my twenties, I, I kind of, I, I lived it. I lived it a certain way, and 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 um, I just had more. Um, and I had support from my wife. I had support from my father-in-law, who was like, "Just go do it." You know, like, like, what? I'm, I'm, I'm here to back you. If you, if you, if you, if you fall, you know, we'll see if we can see if we can get you back up. How did your parents feel about you not going into the trades and choosing the the studio business? Did, um, they, like, my father died when I was 18, um, so he never got to see me going into the music business. My mother, um, again, super supportive. You know, she was my family as a whole were like. What do you mean making what do you mean making records like what are you, are you crazy um because coming from an italian family it was like if you can't hold it and feel it it's not real right so you know if you can make a, if you can build a house or or wire a house or wire a light or whatever you can always you can always fall back on that you can always you know get in the union and you know and, right. and ride that wave for a long time so that was always a fallback plan it was never i never i never felt like um, anything I ever did was 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 um, a fatal um, fatal situation because I could always do something. Hey, you know? You've always struck me as a very pragmatic guy. Yeah, I'd always I always figure out a way to, to land on my feet. So I never really felt like if it didn't work out, you know, I'd, I'd be in a lot of trouble. So and and if if you look at like the timeline, um, there was always there was always a little overlap. So when I came out to L.A., um, the radio and records gig fell in my lap right away right within within the first six months so um i was doing that and then 2004 was when this came about so and i didn't leave r&r &R. my um the ceo over there erica farber who was another mentor of mine um she's like you know you you do you have a very particular skill set of creative business-minded creative and you know technical um, it's going to be hard to kind of replace that. So 
you have a certain set of responsibilities, I'm not going to micromanage you. Just get them done. And if you get them done in this office or you get them done in your office or wherever, just get it done. So she kind of gave me that that lead way to be able to do that. So buying the studio, I was still there. I was still on payroll there. Nice. Um, so I never really had that that fatal like oh my gosh you know if this doesn't work out i'm in trouble because my because i was still doing that were all the rooms up i mean with with the exception of some of the smaller production rooms I and mean, were the big rooms did they did this place occupy two locations yes at the time that you bought in yes wow it was big it was a big it was a big it, it was a big jump um steve started interning here uh in 87 right in 87 so Excuse me. He knew the place really, really well, inside now. Um, so um, there were things that I saw happening that I was like, if we turn this around, I'm sure we can turn it around, right? Like, cause, cause it was like, give me an example. Um, just aesthetics wise, you know, if you look, if you, it was more, um, uh, it was more uh, linoleum tile mm -hmm. and white walls when when we bought it. Um, versus polished concrete floors and and you know warm colors and and you know kind of like the lounges were the lounges look like a living room it, you know? it feels like home that's right within a very very professional right vibe, well it, did, it didn't then it was more it was more of a corporate environment right and i kind of that's where i kind of came in i was like if if i would want to make a record I want to be in a place where I'm comfortable. I don't want to be in a place where I'm, where I feel like it's an office. So not only did you take on the giant nut of paying for all this real estate, and I'm guessing leases on big consoles, mm -hmm. and I mean, well, that so that so that's the interesting thing. Um, the like I said, the deal was a perfect deal because Glenn owned all that, okay. right? So he had all that. So there wasn't um, the deal was just between Steve, myself, um, and Glenn. Right, and there was only one console still with with a with a lease that we paid off that we had that we were paying off as we went. Um, so the other consoles were all owned by Glenn. So our our monthly nut had to basically go to Glenn. So we cut a deal, and he made it super easy for us to get in. Wow, yeah, he did, he, he was he was amazing, you know. And and with him, it was you know it was more of I know I know the place is going to be in good hands because I'm, I'm I'm you know he didn't know me, but he, you know, we got to know each other really well, very quickly. Um, and he knew Steve for years and Steve came up as a, as a intern and runner and basically was managing the place. He was the, he was a VP of operations. So, um, you know, who better to trust, trust the, the legacy with. So and it does have a legacy, you know, um, so many of the big studios uh, have gone out of business, big name places, and it's heartbreaking for guys like us. I, I, I'm sure that when you've heard of other studios going out, you're not thinking, all right, more business for us. It's almost like a no, funeral every no, time you yeah. find out. No, you know, it's, it's not like that. It's it's not about like, oh, we have more. We we have plenty of business. Um, we're we're blessed. It's, it's, it's a great thing, and I ne we never take it for granted. You know, we always want to, um, we want to, um, we want our customers walking out the door as satisfied as ever um but when when a biz when when a competitor goes out of business you, you don't look at it like great you look at it like you know damn i wish i could have helped i wish, I yeah. wish there was something i could there's have done. a brotherhood among yeah. studio reps yeah. Yeah. whether you're an owner or a runner any, yeah. and anything in between there's definitely a brotherhood 
Um, let's talk about that brotherhood for a moment. Um, something that you and I've talked about before, and I think I've probably mentioned it on the show to you guys as well, is that working in a home studio, you're very isolated and you can learn from other people, but you're learning on the internet. So you don't really know who you're learning from. Right. You don't know, it sounds good when you see it on gear slots or whatever, but you don't know. Um, and you may try it and you still don't know because you don't know, am I hearing, am I just making myself happy? Have I convinced myself this sounds great because they said it would on a forum somewhere? Mm. Or does it actually? Well, in a place like this, you've got multiple engineers, multiple producers, multiple assistants, and, and they're all around each other all the time trading licks. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and there's this sense of brotherhood mm -hmm. and, and generosity, and That's everybody right. delights in everybody else's success. That's right. Kind of not unlike the Taxi Road Rally. I, I've seen mm -hmm. that same vibe there, and it tickles me to, that it's turned out that way. Um, you go into the kitchen and you're making a peanut butter jelly sandwich at two o'clock in the morning and you're a famous rock star and another famous rock star comes in there to grab a beer and you end up hanging out and playing some pinball and before you know it that rock star is playing on this rock star's record mm -hmm. yeah it happens all the time yeah and yeah or they just hear it they you know the doors open and they hear what's going on in the other room and if they know each other, you know, like sometimes they'll ask who's in that room and you'll say, okay, so-and-so. And they'll be like, oh, uh, you know, can you let them know I'm here? I'm in the other room. And then they just, oh, come on in, you know, listen to yeah. this. And, and all of a sudden it turns into a collaboration. I actually had Bob Clearmountain walk into a control room that I was working in one day and he said, how did you get that drum sound? It was the, the high point of my entire <laughs> engineering awesome. career that Bob Clearmountain wanted to know I got the drum sound. But that stuff happens in places like this all the time. That's right. And so uh, they've got an assistant here, a young man named Gio, that I met once before when I was here. And as I was packing up to leave last time, I said to him, do you realize how lucky you are to work here? Mm -hmm. He goes, yeah, I do. And I can see that he, he gets it because what you're exposed to in a facility like this, nobody can get being isolated in home studios. And I, I just love the fact that the craft is perpetuated yeah. yeah not yeah. just alive but being yeah. spread around so yeah. you know we have a that that's really what it comes down to um you know we built an aesthetics here where it feels like a living room um everything's warm everything is inviting there's nothing where it feels like it's off-putting um other than that the gear that we have is gear that everyone else has right like we don't have anything special there's no we don't have a special magic box that that other people um, don't have privy to. Um, it really just comes down to um, how how well maintained the gear is, um, how clean the gear is, um, and um, how well uh, of a service the staff uh, provides. And it goes all the way through from the booking process all the way through to the end when you get your files. Are the files named correctly? Are they named in a certain way? Um, and, and we do all that. We're very particular about all that every step of the way. And, and is there like a formal training program for the kids that come on board here? Or is it just handed down from one generation to the next because um, the previous generation a, a really little, gets it? A little bit of each, a little bit of that, a, a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. um, so what we do here is, we, you know, everyone comes on as an intern. Uh, we only have a three-month internship. So um, 
we hear stories of other studios you know, having people intern for free for like a year and never getting in the rooms and we don't believe in that um, I believe um, my personal belief is time is is something you don't ever get back so don't waste it mm -hmm. right so um, if we can't get a good look at somebody in their first three months on if they're on time if they if they hold themselves well if they're always motivated um, then then you know and do they not, have a Honda Prelude and they have a Honda Prelude <laughs> I love that car. <laughs> um, but um, the uh, so we get a good look at them in three months. And if we like if we if, if, if it's if it's something that we see that fits our business model, um, we usually hire them. It's not a it's not a uh, if, if it does if it's if it's you know, if it's not a great fit, we let them know it's not a great fit. Sometimes we hire people and we find that it's not a great fit afterwards. And it's always um, upon hiring them, I always tell them I, I will let you know. As soon as I feel like it's, we feel like it's not a good fit, because the last thing I want to do is have you waste your time. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that you should stop what you're doing. It just means that this isn't a good fit, right? So maybe a two-room facility might be a good fit, a one-room, a one-room facility, but you know, eight or nine rooms is is a little, you know, sometimes is not for everybody. And, and is it safe to say that personality and attitude plays into it almost as much as the technical? chops um absolutely i mean you've got to have i mean we've had idea. we have we've had people that were hired um that just had a great smile was a great person had great energy and never touched um, never went to school you know didn't really have uh understanding of of the gear at all and we'll we'll teach you all that that's not mm -hmm. that's what we do and that's our environment here is a learning environment um and we we almost sometimes rather being able to teach from the from the ground floor up, you know, and build that foundation correctly. Because even when somebody does come from a school or has somewhat of a background, um, I always believe for me, being a builder is I always believe going down to the going down to the foundation, yep. right, and building it the the right way. Because if you build the foundation correctly, you can build anything on top of it. Right. There's nothing that's going to come, you know, but if you if the foundation's wrong, whatever you build on top has the has the possibility of coming down yeah. um, if the foundation's wrong. Right. So I always believe we always Steve and I always feel the same way as like go right back down to the bottom and, um, you know, how, how are you cleaning glass and how are you cleaning floors and how are you, you know, and, and all that plays into um, the next steps of the evolution of being a second engineer uh, uh, or, you know, being a, being a first engineer, you know, you, that, that, um, that mindset of making sure the glass, when you leave a piece of glass, there's no fingerprints on it. There's no dust on it. There's no, uh, fibers from the, from the, from the fabric, um, from the, from the thing that you're cleaning it with. Um, it translates into that. I get the best vocal sound that my, are my, are my tracks labeled correctly? Are they are my my sessions? Are they organized correctly? Where the drums are all in one area and the you know and all that. <laughs> the smile on my face is actually hurting right now hearing yeah. you say this. Yeah, stuff I mean it starts there. It that's starts the way there. I was trained as well, down to my printing on tape boxes. Yeah. If your printing wasn't good, that's right. You didn't graduate to the next level that's right. because if you can't pass that ethos onto the next kid who's mm -hmm. behind you then the the studio is going to have crappy looking tape box labels that are going to end up in another studio when they go there to overdub or something that's right and your reputation 
it hinges, believe it or not, on the printing on a tape box label. And right. when you start talking about leaving lint on a piece of glass, well, the I label, get that. or when you open up a tape box and you see this, you know, see the track sheet, and you know, if if it looks like okay, I I it's going to take me half an hour to even figure out what's happening here first before right. I can get into the session, or you open it up and it's like you know you hear the. Uh, and everything is <laughs> everything is labeled beautifully and yep. the handwriting's right and it you know and and, it, and it's you know you got tones on the tape and all that like it's all a, it's all a beautiful thing when you when back in those days right and and we have those things happening now where um where we feel like there is that um you know that what what, what we would call is the 10 percent 10 percent 80 percent right mm -hmm. so which is you know usually people will complain when something is you know let's let's call it let's call it 20 20 60 okay uh 20 if, if you walk into a restaurant and your service is really really bad um you might complain to a, to a manager mm -hmm. right or you might leave less of a tip if your service was okay you're probably just expecting it to be okay mm -hmm. right if your service is exceptional you might even call a manager over or tip higher or whatever. So that 20% on the top end, that 20% on the bottom end are where people react, right? That that 60% in the middle, the 60 60 in the middle, people just they don't they don't see. So if you're so we always tell people, you know, if you're going to be in that 20% on the low side, you don't belong here. If you're going to be in that 60% in the middle, um it, it you know, people aren't going to remember you they're not going to they're, there's not going to be anything that stands out about you is your goal every day is to be in that 20 percent on top so that when people leave here they go who's your name um and and it's happening right now like i'm even looking at some emails and we have a client in um that's been in for a while and um we have a younger uh, one of the younger um second engineers on that session um, not younger age-wise, but just younger in experience. Yeah. And um, and that person uh, has an engineer that can't make it every day. So they're asking for him to, but but the personality is great, mm -hmm. right? And his technical is good. You know, his technical is above average. You know, our, our when we say above average here or, or good here, it's probably an engineer everywhere else. Mm -hmm. But for us, it's like, you know, it we want it to be, exquisite right you're looking for fighter pilots correct not, not correct. guys that can fly a Cessna. so 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 that person that the engineer that can't make it is just basically saying you know i'm not looking for another engineer why don't you just jump in mm -hmm. when when our engineer can't make it and that's where people get their opportunity absolutely I remember being taught how to wrap a mic cable, and there is a particular way to wrap a mm -hmm. mic cable. Mm -hmm. you, you roll it with your thumb mm -hmm. and your index finger so that every layer of that coil doesn't tangle when you uncoil you it. Throw it. Yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. right. Yeah. So, see, we all, everybody who grew up in this environment knows this, and the reason it's important is that you're in the room, and whoever that multi platinum artist is on the other side of the glass has an inspiration and is walking across the room to pick up a, an acoustic guitar and you don't have an 87 set up to record that and the engineer looks at you and you know before the engineer even says anything you're already one foot out the door mm -hmm. to go throw a cable across the room mm -hmm. and get an 87 plugged in and on that acoustic guitar right. and if that cable 
knots up and mm -hmm. you're sitting there screwing around with it, you might blow that inspiration. Mm -hmm. That's right. It, it's and that's 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 really the magic of what we do here is basically um, when you walk in, um, even our common areas, we, we we keep we keep them. We always we're always telling our our team members, you know, um, the kitchen areas for the clients. Keep you know get in, get out, get be quiet. You know, don't don't be in there and don't be loud because coming from the studio environment, I know firsthand that. Um, if I was in a room for hours and, and I'm like, I want to clear my head a little bit, I'm, I'm going to go get a cup of coffee or, or a tea or whatever, or, or some water from the, from the kitchen. Um, I'm, I'm walking out of the room. I'm not then all of a sudden thinking about like, you know, I got to change the tires on my car or, you know, I'm still thinking about what's going on in the room. I just took a break from it a second. I'm taking a little distance from it. So you're still in thought. Right. And then in that process, you don't want to walk into a kitchen and have the employees or the team members kind of hooting around and holla, laughing. And, you know, you, you still want that person in their mind, in their mindset, um, still able to not have their creativity broken or, you know, smells or another thing was we keep it very neutral. We try to keep the, the, the sense where it's, it's, it's vanilla or it's a clean scent. It's not anything that, um, where you walk in and it's like, you know, the, there's a scent of Lily and I don't like lilies. Right. And then all of a sudden, believe it or not, the creative person's like, you know, that, that bothers me. Like, I don't, I don't I can't really do anything. now. In, in most studios, even some of the best that I've been in smell like beer, weed and cigarettes yeah. from a week ago. Yeah. This place doesn't. Yeah. We try, we try hard. You know, we have, we have filters going all the time and, um, we're spraying, you know, we're spraying it all the time and we do the best we can. I remember somebody once taught me, make sure the sugar container in the break room is always filled. Mm -hmm. And I said, why? And they said, because Vera Clapton walks out of the studio and he's making a cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. If he's got to go find somebody to get more sugar in that mm -hmm. thing, you've taken them out That's of right. that headspace. That's right. That's right. So, man, don't have, don't, our assistants or our second engineers are always close to the room where if someone asks for privacy, um, They'll, they'll stay out of the room. If, if they don't ask for privacy, they're in the room. They're engaged all the time. Um, if, if, they're, if they're outside the room, they're right near the door so that the, so that the client don't have to walk out and, and search because then that takes you out of that yeah. creativity. And, you, and if, you're, if you're having a problem, if, if technical, start, starts, technical problems start to happen in the room, then you're already, you're already kind of wound up and frustrated, right? So then to try to find your assistant in, the, in a big big facility is another frustration yeah right so it's like if you if you walk away from the door let them know exactly where you're going to be so they know exactly where to go to find you so it's those little things that kind of like just from experience i, I would say I, we build into the process here to where i think our clients come in and they feel like um we we have a different experience here than than in most places in other places so when they when they have that different experience and they realize the quality of the of the of the material that that comes out during that process and that 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 level of comfort that they get when they come i think it translates and i think that's why they they come back it, wow uh, i'm so happy that we know each other we get to talk about this stuff because i've walked into other places uh power station in new york one of the great studios mm -hmm. of the world. It's now called Avatar. It's just a, a totally A-plus a studio. But 
the culture there was different. The culture mm -hmm. amongst the engineers with, look at me, I work at the power station, I'm a rock star. Yeah. The sugar wasn't always filled. That's right. And it's amazing. You can feel when you walk in this place, like right now I'm looking over the top of the laptop at the outboard rack and there's like a tabletop on top of it. Everything is stacked up perfectly. There's three bottles of water in a triangle. There's a, you know, a notepad with post-it notes on top of it, tissues, a pencil container. Everything is orderly and mm. not messed up at all. That's right. And I bet that it looks like this every single time you walk yeah, in the room. That's the way the room is reset. Yeah, you guys should be proud of that. Yeah. That's a good job. Uh, and and you know what? They our team is proud, right? They 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 when they come in here, they realize when they when they walk through the door, um, that feeling they got when they first walked through the door mm -hmm. is 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 what they what we all try to maintain throughout. It's on their shoulders now. Right. And they, and they, you know, I always say we're in a, we're in a, a baton, you know, we're in a, um, a relay race, mm -hmm. right? We're all in a race, right? And we're in a relay race. So, um, your shift is going to hand the baton off to somebody else. So how are you going to hand that baton off? Is, is, is your job done? Are you going to be able to, you know, are you going to hand that baton off to where you lost, you know, ground? And then that person's gonna have to make up that ground with the stuff you didn't do or didn't do well, and then get their own work done. So you know you always want to realize that we're all we're all in this race together. So when you hand that baton off, try to be a little ahead of the game. Try to have it a little easier for that person because he'll come back around to you. Anticipate. That's right. Yeah. You've got to have eyes in the front and the back of your yeah. head and. Anticipation, knowing what other people around you, because you're not there as the assistant engineer um, to be cool or to voice an opinion about a part on a record or a song. No, it's it's actually it's actually a, a skill set that um, we could have we could have young men and women that are really super technical, mm. um, really knowledgeable. Um, that doesn't mean that they're going to make a great assistant. They might make a great engineer, um, but the path here is through the assistant, right? It's through the second engineer because that's where you get exposure to so many different engineers and so many different clients, and that's where you make your connections. So, so you have to be you have your your goal is to be a good second engineer here, right? Um, and just because you're technical and you know your 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 stuff doesn't mean that you're going to make a good second engineer here. So we always have to. Um, we always have to balance that. We always have to make sure that that personality, like you said before, personality is a big part of it because you're going to get the best and the worst. It's not going to always be, it's not always roses. People don't always roll in with their own engineer and that engineer is a great engineer. Sometimes they roll in with their own engineer and that engineer was working out of their bedroom the day before um, or the week before, the month before, the year before. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a matter of maybe they're just not knowledgeable to the studio environment, right? So yeah. um, how that second engineer of ours interacts with that person is is huge because in the music industry, you know, most people are insecure about something, right? We, we, we live in a, we, 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 we work Creative in a, types. Yeah. We work in an industry of insecurity, right? And um, if somebody is having trouble routing something or or figuring out how to get a sound up on a console it's how that second engineer approaches that person and 
either supports them and makes them look like a rock star or makes them feel like they don't know what they're doing right and that's not gonna that's not gonna cut it here we have to make them our job is to make you look make you feel like a rock star yep and that's what our job that's what we do every day and sometimes you have to take the fall for them sometimes you do that's absolutely right that's absolutely right sometimes you i always tell our our senior second engineers that are pretty much engineering half of the time and then and then assisting half of the time um they're at the point where they're you know having to get coffee and and meals put together for people that sometimes they know more than than the person sitting in the engineering seat but (laughs) you'll learn so i always say you could learn just as much about what not to do from someone who's not that great as you can from someone who's great and learning what to do right like so it's all about what you want to get out of that day when you walk in here so if you if you happen to get a challenging engineer stick by that person and at the end of the session did you make that person and did you make this did you make the session successful and did you make that person look and feel like a rock star and if you did you did your job so i've got to imagine transitioning now to um these guys own a a side company for lack of a better it's called create music academy and they came on board as a sponsor i think three years ago at the taxi road rally and i was just infatuated with them because i could feel this studio vibe and ethos emanating from doug fenske who Mm -hmm. is the head of teaching Uh, i forget yeah director of education okay so yeah i said it a little less and he's, and he's our part. He's our business partner as well. So yeah. he came up through the ranks here, didn't he? He did. And, and you can feel that he was one you're... of our one of our early employees, probably around two thousand five, um, and started as an intern and just had that that gift um, of of organization and quickly became um, a, a day a day runner, which basically was an office runner, which was um, responsible for organizing the day time activities here which was um in, in interviewing interns and you know making sure rooms were set and and so um he he started there and then um when i when, when i first bought the place i was telling you my my thing was the reason i bought the place was i was doing artist development and mm-hmm. i was doing you know uh production so we had a whole artist development program that that I was working on on a daily basis, um, and after his shift, he'd he'd jump in with me. And you know, at, at first it was like, you know, can I can I sit in? And I was like, sure, of course, sit in. Um, and then it was, um, you know, why are you sitting there? Come over here and, you know, engineer. And he's like, me? You're like now? Like you want me to engineer? And I was like, yeah, come on. Just the way Frank Diaz told me, you know, we're not doing, we're not, we're not you know they're not doing brain surgery right. it's just if you mess up we'll, we'll, you know we'll fix it so it's an operating room environment but we never kill a patient that's right we haven't <laughs> killed anybody yet so um so with that he show up every day you know and it, it was like it was night after night and we'd we'd work and um it was he'd get out at two and three in the morning and sometimes we'd have to drive him to a bus stop because his regular bus isn't isn't running um, at first he had a car and that car broke down and, I w- and, and he lived all the way in North Hollywood. Um, and when that car broke down, he never stopped like, oh, I don't have a car now, so I can't do it anymore. He still stayed. He took a bus back and forth and um, he might stay till three in the morning. And the next morning he was here right on time, nine o'clock. 
um, took the bus in and got himself up and he so recognized the value of the opportunity absolutely absolutely and he put the work in you know and and that and 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 he's and he's a gifted the other part of it is, is that not only is he is is he a great engineer and producer and all that um he's he's um he's gifted at teaching mm. right so it's not everybody can say that like i i i don't know if i'd be a gifted teacher in front of a classroom i'm not sure about that. i think you know maybe, maybe i'd enjoy it you know i'd enjoy parts of it um but he just enjoys teaching he enjoys that whole um that that whole aha moment when you can see the light bulbs going off and everybody and they're like oh i get it now so explain what create does that other schools don't what why is the approach here different um because i, I we've had some taxi members that after the road rally ended up coming to create and, mm -hmm. and they sent me emails just saying it was everything i'd hoped it would be and more uh, in oh, short great. and they went in with high expectations and had them exceeded. So what is it that you're doing differently than other schools? Um, I think what we're doing is we're taking everything we do on a daily basis at the studios and we've boiled it down into a very accelerated curriculum. Um, we don't want other schools um, have people go attending for like a year. Mm -hmm. Um, we don't feel like that's going to help anyone um, but the school, you know. If, if and, and we're not, we we don't we don't believe in the whole um, student loan process as well because um, a year, you know, forty thousand dollars, fifty thousand dollars, and then you you get out and you might not get the job that you thought you were going to get, you know. And there's there's nobody, you know, looking for engineers necessarily. They you have to then start this process as being an intern again and get into a studio and, and become and work your way through to become an engineer so having to go to school for a year and spend all that money and um and then you you get out of school and you're not equipped to necessarily walk into a position mm -hmm. you have to then kind of grow into a position again um we just feel like that whole business model is just a little um broken for us right because we're getting those those young men and women in our doors at the at the studio, right? Seeing and, the result of the and, other, and schools. we're we're seeing them come out of the other schools, and there are schools that are really good. There are schools that are good, um, and we kind of focus on those, and we try to get as many um, through the door from those schools, um, and those schools are more focused on engineering, right? Like it's 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 all about the ratio in two, right? Because if you want to be a producer, then going through the process of of interning and running and and all that. Um, that might be the wrong race for you, right? If you want to be a producer, because the people that are next door that are interns and runners and, and in the shop um, and second engineers, they want to be engineers, right? Uh, and maybe they'll become a producer at some point. This goes back to what you said about the guy who uh, you drove to the interview for what Correct. ended up being... He, he, he was going to be an artist, right? right? It, wasn't, it wasn't right for him. Yeah, so. he was in the wrong race, and you found your that's race. Right. You the got in your lane right. and stayed there. Because if you're in the right race, then, you, then, you, then you're going to compete, right? If you're, if, you're, if you're a sprinter and you enter yourself into a marathon, you're not, you expect, the, you expect the, the results to be good, it's not going to happen, right? right? Or if you're a marathon runner and you're like, okay, I just entered the, the 100 meter... Um, it's not going to work out for you, right? Because you, you don't have twenty, you don't have you know four right. hours to make it happen. <laughs> um, so, the 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 goal is is to get yourself in the right race, and um, we're very particular about um, 
who we bring in. So, so, so when they come in the door next door, um, they might have come out of school. Um, what is it that you want to do? Do you want to be an engineer? Because if you want to be an engineer, we'll get you there. Um, if, if, if you want to be um, uh, a great guitar player or you want to have your own, you know, your own, you, you want to be a producer and you don't, you, or, you know, you don't want to engineer, um, you're not going to be grinding like the other, you know, 15 people that you're in the race with. So Create actually has different paths that you can take? Create is just specifically for... Um, it, what it appeals to the most is music producers, um, artists, and songwriters, right? And for different reasons. It's the same curriculum, mm -hmm. but if you, if you come in as a music producer, songwriter, or artist, you will, you will obtain what you want to obtain from that curriculum. And here's why. It, the, the curriculum is built around music production from the beginning of a song all the way through to mixing and mastering right and if you come in from the from the lens of a music producer you will learn exactly everything you need to do to produce a well produced and recorded song which sounds like a miraculous feat and accomplishment in the short amount of tell them how mm -hmm. long the, the courses are the courses right? are each each um each is four courses each course is um basically 15 hours so if you're taking it full time three hours a day for lecture 15 hours goes by in one week right mm -hmm. and, but it's intense it's it's not like we're not sitting around and we're not we're not having you know tea time in the middle of you know you get you get this three hour lecture and this 10 minutes on the top of each hour it's all constructed very particular and we expect you to be on time um, and we have projects and and for you to, to exercises for you to work on and hands we, on and we grade them yeah we, we want we, we're telling you exactly what we want you to do because we want you to hit certain points in the curriculum that we're teaching you um, and we grade you on that and we, and if you don't do it well we're showing you why you didn't do it well and how to do it well so that when so that when you get to that point of like you're you're past the whole lecture stage now it just becomes part a time for practice you've already done it you've already seen it done it's in your notes correct you've seen it done um you've done it physically um you've gotten coached with it if you haven't done it correctly and um now it's time to practice it um we're getting close to the end of the show so i want to wrap up the okay. discussion about create with with a compliment for you guys um and then i want you to tell me one juicy studio store okay. <laughs> without any names of course um our next door neighbor up until about nine months ago uh they had a son who was autistic uh, high functioning but mm -hmm. autistic and so i knew the kid a little bit as he was growing up and then uh about two or three years ago the dad called me up one night and said can i bring my kid over for a little industry coaching he would like to get into mm -hmm. the industry and he said, should he go to a school or not? And I said, most schools I would not recommend, but there is one that's local that I would highly recommend because I know the people, I know their ethic, and the way they've designed their courses is spectacular. So yes, go there, you will not be disappointed. Mm -hmm. And he did. Mm -hmm. And I never really heard anything more from him other than the dad saying to me, yeah, he really liked it and felt that it was fruitful. It's good. About right before the fires last November, so right uh, mid-November, um, 
they sold their house and they moved to North Carolina and the kid showed up. He's now a young man. He's like 18 years old, 19 years old. He showed up to help his folks pack up the house and I ran into him in our driveway I said, so what's going on? He goes, oh, man, I've been so busy. I said, doing what? He goes, oh, I've been uh, writing with Chris Christofferson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I almost fell down. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, right. You're right. No, seriously. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm writing with Chris Christofferson. I've been like, you know, locked away with him for months. And, and like his whole life changed because of what he learned from you guys. That's great. That's so, great I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. You know? yeah. I mean, this is a kid that if he had not figured out what he wanted to do with his life and ended up learning kind of the fast track on how to do it. Mm-hmm. The kid had a learning disability, you yeah. know? I mean, and now he's writing with Chris Christofferson. So. I mean, it's just what we teach is just the, the right way to do it. You know, what, what, what has been successful in our years of experience, we teach you the way to do that um, and how to get a certain sound and how to, and how to um, um, correctly um, process audio. Um, now that's just the beginning. You know, if you look at, we always, you know, we always say, if you look at Michael Jordan or you look at Kobe Bryant, someone taught them at some point how to do, how to, how to correctly shoot a jumper or how to correct way of, um, of, uh, a layup, right? Foundation. Foundation, right? But then it was up to them to put in the next 10,000 hours on how uh, like I'm going to keep doing that. I'm going to keep shooting that jumper. I'm going to keep, you know, going in and, and practicing that layup. Um, and that's really what it comes down to is w- when we teach them the correct way and give them the notes and um, some people walk away with, a, you know, they put it all in a binder and we suggest they put it in a binder and, you know, they walk away with a book. It's basically their manual to, to figure out how to, how to build a song. Um, and then it comes to practice and, and we, um, one of the, one of the, I think the special things that we have going on is we have this hashtag that, that the actual, um, student producers, um, created and it's called, um, create fam, right? Um, and they, once they're done with the courses, they're not done. You know, we never, we, we, we're, one of the things that we're trying to do is we're trying to build community. Mm -hmm. So there's always they're always coming back they're always using the facility in between um classes or when when an act when a current student isn't in the the lab or the or the studio they have the access to build to, to book it and and use it and what happens is when they come back they'll have questions like hey you know how do i get this certain bass sound or how do i do this or if let's say they're not local um they'll usually send it to us and they'll say hey i'm trying to get this certain bass sound what do you think um, okay, try this, or you know, maybe here's a couple of suggestions. So there's never a time when it's like, okay, your classwork is done here, and okay, good, you're out the door. Right, and we, we never, cut the cord, and you're yeah, on your no, own. Yeah, no, we, we, it's, it really is. Be, that's where it begins. Do that's you, where the process begins. Do you think it's possible, maybe, that after this year's road rally, that the Monday immediately after the road rally, for people that are seriously thinking about taking the courses that you guys could have like an open house and have Doug do oh, like, yeah, sure. like a 90 minute class in the facility so they can get a little taste of what they would get. Sure. Yeah. I mean, whatever they would, whatever they would need to, to kind of get a taste for it, it'd be fine. 
That would be awesome because, you know, some of the people that taxi members have taken are from out of town. And, mm -hmm. and that's a big leap of faith for them to come to town for a number of weeks, and, you know, get an Airbnb. Uh, right. But I know from see, from the emails that I've gotten um, from taxi members and our next door neighbor, I know it works. It, it's this is, you know, yeah, we, I'm not plugging it. Uh, you know me. I don't plug anything I don't really believe in. And, and mm -hmm. you've heard this guy for 90 minutes now. Would he create a piece of shit? Mm -hmm. No. And, and um, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, but, you know, one of the things that we did is once, once we linked it to Westlake, um, we were very careful. We didn't, uh, we didn't come out of the gate um, blazing like, you know, hey, we're here. And mm -hmm. um, we, we actually did the road rally, our first road rally in 2014. Um, right before we opened our doors um and it was in november right so uh right november and yeah. then we opened our doors in january um and our uh, our first class was a small class our first class was maybe four or five people and um we still keep in touch with them all today and um they came from the road rally and they they you know they're doing they're doing cool things you know they're they're um what um, what we wanted to do was make sure the curriculum was was standing on its own, and and that was a very important thing for us when we linked it to Westlake, as we wanted to make sure we didn't want to just become another school that's like, okay, good, we're profiting off of mm -hmm. the you know these people that have this dream, and we're putting you know making our pockets fatter, but the dream isn't being accomplished, right? That's not what that's the cycle we were trying to break. We right. didn't want that. So we came out very quiet and, and under the radar, and um, we went through a few cycles of of of, of, of cohorts, and mm -hmm. the, and we we were sure that the curriculum stood on its own. Proof of um, concept. And we we changed. You know, our curriculum is always evolving. It's never it's never always the same. It's never the same um, twice, believe it or not, because because the charts change, and we always are mm -hmm. focusing on certain things about the charts and and the trends and the new gear that we're using in the studio. So our curriculum is ever is always a, or is a, what I call organic. It's always evolving, right? And um, uh, with that, we wanted to make sure that the foundations of that curriculum stood on its own. And we've had enough cycles go through now that we're 100% confident that if you, if you come through the cycle of the courses, um, you will walk away um, with um, with the skill set that you didn't have prior to coming in, and you can't really teach it online because you're not hands-on. It's really hard to do it. Yeah. I'd love, I'd love to be able. You know, we're we're trying to figure out um, a hybrid of some sort that would be able to accommodate some people that can't get to LA, um, but it's really hard, and it'd have to be the right scenario. And I'd, I'd always, you know, I'd call on people like you and and other people that I trust their opinion. Um, once we put, if we find the right formula, we'll we'll send it through its its um its course first mm -hmm. and see if it if it's got if it's got legs um, to be able to stand up on its own. But it would kind of be it would it would be kind of a light course. It wouldn't be necessarily the intense course that we have in person because it's 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 what you know when we're dealing when you're dealing with sound, it's so hard to be able to explain okay this is what it should sound like because our environment sounds a certain way 
um, your room might sound a different way. So you're listening to a bass, a bass, and we might be listening to a bass on our side, and we're listening to certain characteristics of it, and we're trying to tell you about that, and you're listening to it on your end, and maybe it's not, you know, it's not going to translate the, the right way. Speaking of hearing things in a room, last time I was here, Al played me, I think, two Michael Jackson songs from Thriller. Probably and, Human Nature. Was yeah, in that room. Yeah, yeah, in Studio A. Yeah, that's my favorite song in oh that room. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, come on. I, I've worked in some of the best rooms in the world, but to hear a Michael Jackson record in a room where it was done... I didn't think I would be nearly as impressed as I was, but there were layers in that record that I'd never, never heard, heard before, before right? even wearing yeah. headphones. Yeah. It, it yeah, was astonishing. That, that uh, Human Nature and Thriller in, yeah. in A, and um, and um, Man the Mirror in Studio D, and um, Bad is, is always a good one to listen to on there. People um, always walk away going, I never heard that in the record. It's that must be a different record. I'm like, it's coming right off the album. That you're right. <laughs> I, a couple of years ago, I got to hear uh, Sgt. Pepper in a blacked out movie theater um, with uh, in Dolby Atmos. Mm -hmm. And first couple of tracks, I was like, yeah, it sounds good. And the whole room was all audio engineers. And by the end of the record, I mean, you could literally hear like the fingerprints on Paul McCartney's fingers as he was playing bass. Uh, it, it was astonishing. Really? Yeah. You it, just felt like you were right there? Literally yeah. like Paul yeah. McCartney was standing in front of you. Yeah, that's it, awesome. it was amazing. And it didn't feel like a science project. It still felt like music. So uh, I'm hoping that they do that with uh, the stuff that they've done now that they do um, Abbey Road and Atmos and I get invited back to that thing. Okay, one good, because we're a few minutes over, but uh, one good studio story could be like something that made I'll even it'll be a funny story actually okay um, it's it's um a Paul McCartney I'll, I'll just ride off the Paul McCartney thing okay um so Paul McCartney was doing a record with us uh, a few years back um my daughter was probably um six or seven six maybe five or six maybe right young she was still young and she was sitting at the front desk and her thing when she'd come in and she'd want to be at the front desk and she was sitting there with um a bowl of Fruit Loops with no milk just eating the fruit loops so she you know he comes through the door and he had a granddaughter about her age at the time um and so he immediately goes right over to her and he's like hey young lady um uh what's your name and she's like gianna and um he's like well my name is paul how you doing and uh and she said well and uh she he's like can i have some of your fruit loops and she's like can i have a green fruit loop and so he takes, she says yes, and she gives him the bowl, and he takes a green Fruit Loop, and he goes on to the studio, and everybody is like having a, you know, like, oh my God, you missed. It. I was up in my office, and he's like, you missed it. It was so awesome. And um, so then I, I, I walk down, I scoop up my daughter, and we go to a party where my son and my wife were already at, right, um, for a friend of ours, a birthday party. And um, so I, we come in the front door, and my daughter sees my wife at the end of the hallway, and she runs down the hallway. And um, and I'm still at the door saying hi to somebody, and she so, so my wife says to her, "How did, you, um, how was your day at the studio with your dad?" And she was telling her about the story, about about her day, and so my wife comes up to me a little later on in the party, and she's like, um, "What's going on at the studio? What, what, are you having problems over there?" And I go, "No, what happened?" She's like, um, "Gianna was telling me um, that." Um, 
there was there was beetles. The beetles were eating her Fruit Loops. <laughs> <laughs> so I told, so I had to tell her. I said, like, "No, a beetle." Because at the on the on the way to the party, um, she was telling me that this old guy was eating her Fruit Loops. And I said to her, well, you know who that is? I said, that's the guy who sings the, one of your songs that you like is uh, uh, Strawberry Fields. And um, she's like, oh, he doesn't look like that anymore. And I go, no, because she saw that she was looking at the video. Um, so I said, no, he's one of, he's one of, he's in a group called the Beatles. So when she went to my wife, she told me, she told her that a beetle was eating her Fruit Loops. That's, that's, <laughs> that's that awesome. Was her, that was her translation of the day. Wow. Um, it's so much nicer to hear stories like that rather than drug overdoses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we try to keep ourselves. We, we um, we've had some, we've had a couple rough situations around, but um, but no, we were we're good. If I ever told you a story about the control room window that was shot out when I showed up for work one night in uh, bullet hole in, tr in meter number eighteen. No, oh my gosh, I'll tell you that at dinner. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, thank you, Al. This has been delightful, for lack well, thank of you. any better word. Um, I love coming over here. I love hanging out with you, man. We yeah, are uh, twin fun. sons, different mothers, and uh, just I'm proud of what you've done with this place. Thank you. And the thank fact you. that it's like just, it's perfect. Thank you. Thank so, you. Congratulations. You guys, next week, I am doing the ultimate remote. I am going to Nampa, Idaho for next Whoa. week's Taxi TV. And I'm going to be doing it in an outdoor tool shed. So if you can figure hmm. out what that means, don't miss next week's episode. If you are into doing instrumental music for film and TV, mostly like uh, instrumental cues that would get used in reality TV, do not miss next week's show, okay? Awesome. With that, thank you, Al. Thank you. And let's cue the band. All right. And we will see you guys next week for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Woo!